setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining me on Burning Issues. As many of you know, I'm Professor of Psychology and Director of Clinical Training at the University of Albany. I'm the author of the book, Understanding Marijuana, published by Oxford University Press. I write the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times, and I also serve as chair of the executive board for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Today, bright young investigator Mallory Laughlin will discuss the very first publication on dabs, and we'll also have our segment called Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. So here she is, joining us from the VA Community Clinic in the Catskills, noted cannabis researcher Mallory Laughlin. Thanks for joining us, Mallory. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Mitch. I <laughs> just wanted to add Mallory's also a graduate student in the clinical psychology program at the University of Albany. So how does uh, a nice person become a cannabis researcher? Can you kind of give us the narrative? <laughs> sure. Um, so I guess mine, I don't know if it's interesting or not that interesting, but I started out um, as an undergrad at University of Washington, generally interested in just Substance, substance use, substance abuse, and kind of wanted to answer this question of why is it that some folks who use drugs go on to have problems when a large proportion don't? Um, and so obviously that question lended itself best to studying cannabis because here we're talking about a substance that most of the population has used at some point of their life, most of the population doesn't have a problem with. And then we have this really small subset that does. Um, so that was kind of just why I got interested. And then digging around in the literature, um, it became pretty obvious that um, it was a very politically loaded topic to be studying. It seemed like most of the research on cannabis was done with a specific you know, thing that people were trying to prove. Namely, cannabis is terrible and awful and evil. <laughs> and just the kind of scientist in me thought, this just this isn't how you're supposed to go about doing research, um, you know, going about it, trying to prove some specific political ideal. And so that was, that was what got me into it and brought me to Albany to start studying it and say la vie. <laughs> Thank, thanks so <laughs> much for fighting there. the political agenda. I really appreciate your, your efforts. Right. I know the cannabis community and the reform community and the research community can be different for women. Has it seemed particularly odd or sexist or, or strange to you? Um, I mean, I guess it depends. You know, uh, if you look at just the community of users, view, views towards cannabis users, obviously it's very biased towards men. I mean, who you see in the media being portrayed as a cannabis user has traditionally been male. Um, if you go back to like Cheech and Chong, you don't really see a lot of female cannabis users. And when you do, um, they're portrayed in a really negative light. So um, just in terms of the community, we do see that changing a little bit, I think, especially with media starting to show celebrities, um, you know, using cannabis as you start to see legalization movements with advertisements showing men and women who use cannabis. Um, I think some of those old attitudes are starting to change towards what it is to be a woman who uses cannabis. 
So on the flip side for me as a researcher, obviously it's a bit surprising then when you do see a woman who studies cannabis. You tend to think, oh, well, most most cannabis users are men, therefore we assume most researchers of cannabis are men. Um, I haven't noticed all that much sexism, more as kind of delight <laughs> when, I, when I run into people and talk about my work or when I'm you know, asked to give a talk or even doing interviews. Um, it seems like people are pretty excited actually to see the, the female perspective represented. Oh, that's great. And I know you did do a lot of internship interviews recently. And was the cannabis work received favorably? Was it uh, odd or controversial? So I came into it pretty geared up for a fight. I really thought, especially since some of my publications kind of suggest, hey, a lot of this, you know, really isn't as damaging and horrible as we're thinking. You know, everybody who smokes pot doesn't go on to have schizophrenia. Um, And I thought that going on these interviews, especially they're clinical interviews, where I was looking at, you know, interviews for positions where you're actually working with folks who have problems related to drugs. And I was thinking, you know, prepared for this question of, you know, what are you doing? Why would you want to work with people who struggle with problems when it looks like a lot of your work suggests that the rates of problems aren't as bad as we think and that maybe, you know, considering things like legalization could be a good thing. Um, And it, honestly, I came into it and people were pretty excited about my work. I didn't get a lot of pushback, um, you know, once or twice, but it seemed like that was the exception, not the rule. And I think it's because most people who work in the trenches kind of recognize this isn't a black and white phenomenon. It's not the fact that drugs are all evil or all great and wonderful. Um, you know, it, it's a nuanced, um, you know, there's a nuance to it. And I think most people also recognize that it's not, um, you know, it's it's not antithetical to um, wanting to help people with str- who struggle with their drug use to have the agenda of, I also think that, you know, the way that we uh, prosecute people who use drugs is not a good thing. Um, and That's I think most true. people who work clinically, yeah, also agree that, um, you know, drug courts uh, are not the best way to help people to get clean. And so most people were pretty open to my work and were pretty excited about it. Oh, that's great. Well, I want to move on to some of this controversy about dabs and how they're kind of the new thing mm-hmm. on the scene. Can you give our listeners a mm-hmm. feel for what dabs are all about? Sure. And honestly, the technology here is changing so rapidly that I'm probably completely outdated even talking about it right now. And I'm sure the listeners are going to, you know, immediately say, actually, you know, there's new ways to do this, new ways there's being developed. But generally speaking, when we're talking about dabs, we're talking about a highly concentrated form of uh, cannabis where you take the cannabis flower and actually reduce it down to an oil. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as honey or wax because that's kind of the consistency that it looks like. And then you'll heat some kind of um, metal object, usually like traditionally a titanium nail or um, like a hash pipe plate, and so that it's really hot, usually with some kind of like blowtorch, so that it gets very, very hot. And you take a dab of this honey substance, this concentrate of cannabis, put it on that plate so that it immediately turns to um, smoke, and you inhale that smoke. And so effectively what you're doing is getting a much higher dose of cannabis with one hit. Wow, so we've got a blowtorch, a hot nail, and a psychoactive <laughs> substance all together. Right. I can see that uh, has some potential for a lot of research to be right. done. I was just going to say, and also why I think you're seeing the media turning this into this is the new you know, heroin. Um, 
just because it sounds, I think, a little scarier than what we're actually talking about. Gotcha. Uh, I know you wrote a story about this for Ladybud Magazine at ladybud.com. Would you be willing to give us a brief version of that? Sure. If you'd Um, rather not, I understand. No, no. I actually love telling this story. I actually just told this story to a group of undergrads. They got a total kick out of it. Um, but I, my father is a long-term um, medicinal marijuana user from Washington State. And um, back before even they'd legalized uh, marijuana for recreational use, and it was just available for... Uh, for prescription only. Um, my dad had a prescription and he was really excited. He's an old hippie too, so he was so excited to see um, so many different kinds of cannabis that were available, so many different kinds of preparations. So, And he's also delighted that his daughter is a cannabis researcher. So when I came home a few years ago um, over break from school, he really wanted to show me this new contraption if he'd gotten a, um, he'd gotten a hash oil pipe and was wanted to do dabs and show me what it was all about. Um, and kind of proud as punch, pulled it out, showed me how to use it. But I think he got overly excited and kept wanting me to see, um, you know, kind of how it works. So he took two or three hits, um, which a typical dose of dabs is only one. Um, Anyways, kind of short story long, he ended up getting um, far more intoxicated than I think he'd planned. Um, But he gave me, I'd, I'd never seen this before, I'd never even heard of it before, and so about 20 minutes after doing this, you know, we sat down to watch a movie and he started kind of speaking incoherently. Um, he started gargling and he actually vomited um, and then went unconscious. And so obviously as his daughter, I was terrified. You know, I screamed. I came over. I started checking him for a stroke. And when he kind of came to, he had this kind of lopsided grin, which anybody who's, you know, um, kind of had any medical training or exposure to medical training knows that that lopsided of the face, which is one side of the face is responding and the other isn't, it's usually a sign of a stroke. So I thought my dad had had a stroke from smoking cannabis. <laughs> so I insisted on him coming with me to the hospital. And it was this just debaucherous experience of trying to get him to the hospital because he was making jokes, insisting that we stop to get, you know, I think he wanted Taco Bell or something like that. Um, and insisting that we stop for water um, because he had a parched mouth. And when we got to the emergency room, they immediately knew this guy is, he didn't have a stroke. He's just very high. Um, so I spent the night with my dad that night hanging out in the emergency room. He did get I- evaluated then and the doctor said, you're fine. <laughs> I appreciate your care, and it's nice to hear a dab story, uh, all's well that ends well. We do have to take a break yeah. here for a minute, but uh, we'll be back with cannabis scholar Mallory Laughlin and uh, more of Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Kieran at Karcher Insurance at 702-292-2909. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, 
single father of four, a fitness writer, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Like many of the million people who are living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every single day. And sometimes my nerves are so raw that if you brushed up against me in an elevator, I'd scream. I can't sleep at night from the pain, and sometimes the spasms in my legs are so intense they will wake me up throughout the night. I've tried the strongest prescription medications available, and I'm going to tell you, they do not work. In fact, they leave me in a stupor, and most of the time, it's impossible to even live your life. Now, I've tried medical marijuana, and I'm going to tell you something, it works. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome to the State of Cannabis. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. Advocates and analysts will join us to discuss the ongoing path to reform and legislation. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks for joining us at Burning Issues. We're talking to cannabis researcher Mallory Laughlin, and we've uh, just heard a delightful tale about her father and some dabs. So uh, uh, did things turn out okay on that in the end there, Mallory? They did, other than uh, I think you got quite a scolding um, from both from both me and from um, my stepmother, um, it ended up okay. You know, my dad was fine medically. That being said, my dad would not have wanted to terrify his daughter. And I think that was kind of the take-home point was that, um, you know, he walked away going, wow, I need to be much more careful with my dosing. I need to really be aware of how much I'm using and be a little bit more conscientious in comparison to, you know, if he were smoking traditional flower cannabis and could have kind of to trade the dose a little bit easier. Um, so a little dab will do you. But other than that, he was all right. <laughs> well, so, and then this, in some ways, co-varied with uh, your first publication on the dabs data. Um, I know that study <laughs> asked people who were regular dabs users just some of their top reasons. Can you kind of give us a feel for why people said they liked dabs? And, I mean, pretty much it's exactly what you would expect um, for something that's a higher concentrate. You know, folks were saying they preferred it because it obviously, the onset of effects was a lot faster. It had a stronger effect and the effects lasted longer. And so we really did see dabs, you know, the advent of dabs kind of coinciding with um, the increase in medicinal use or medicinal availability in the U.S. So it's really not surprising that medicinal users are saying, hey, here's something that can help me get my medicine quicker, easier, last longer, and I don't have to take as many inhalations. So, I mean, in many ways, that's got a real intuitive appeal, and yet I, I understand people's fear about this. In your data, were accidents right. more likely, or did people seem to run into more trouble relative to flower no, cannabis? No, not at all. So we asked about the typical problems that you'd see when you're evaluating somebody for a substance use disorder, and we compared um, rates uh, that people endorsed for when they smoke flower cannabis versus dabs, and there was no difference in terms of um, reported accidents, so like burning accidents um, or problems just with using it, or even interference in daily functioning. And this wasn't just a, you know, it didn't meet statistical significance because it wasn't a very well 
you know, um, <laughs> you know, there wasn't enough people in the study, there was actually hardly any difference to even, there wasn't even a difference between groups. So it really doesn't seem like um, it, it, it puts you at greater risk. Or, or at the very least, it looks like people are being pretty careful when they're using it. And then ironically, you asked them, did they think uh, essentially were dabs more dangerous in general or more dangerous for other people? How did that turn out? Right. And people were saying that they thought they, even though they were saying that they didn't have any more accidents or problems themselves, they assumed that other people were having more problems and accidents and that they just believed the dabs must be more dangerous. And I mean, there's kind of two things to take away there. One, that may be kind of protective perhaps because people think, you know, this is, I got to be careful with this. Um, They're being careful, which is good. Um, But it also could be problematic because it may be this kind of media frenzy of, you know, dabs are so terrible, um, are convincing people that they're working with something that's really dangerous. And I always worry about that because I think, you know, belief about how something works can turn to reality. You know, if we expect something to happen, it, it can start to happen to us. Um, so I'm a little. Uh, that was a particularly troubling finding, I think, for me. Well, so everybody thinks they can handle dabs, but they also think right. other people can't. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, very interesting. It's kind of a hoot. I know you did ask about tolerance and withdrawal with the dabs as well. Can you give us a feel for those data? Right. And actually, people did say that they were um, showing a little bit higher tolerance when they used dabs, which isn't really that surprising. We're talking about a higher concentrated form of something. So our body obviously naturally gets used to um, the level of the substance that we're using. We're using a higher concentration. Our body expects to get that higher concentration. Um, And they were saying that they were showing a little bit more withdrawal symptoms, um, which, again, not really all that surprising considering it's a higher concentration. I wanted to get your feel for this withdrawal because I feel like it's uh, it's a pretty controversial topic and I, I have trouble right. taking it seriously. Do you have an opinion you weigh in? You know, I, the, my first reaction to that when they started publishing all this work on, you know, with the withdrawal syndrome for cannabis was certainly we can always find a difference that someone reports. Certainly people, when they stop doing something every day, are going to notice some kind of difference in their behavior or how their body feels. Um, and if you look at a, you know, a stronger substance uh, or a more dependency-forming substance like caffeine, you know, that definitely has a, um, you know, a high potential for tolerance and withdrawal. And if I don't get my coffee, certainly I'm going to get a headache. That's a withdrawal symptom. You but drug that addict experience you. of the headache, I know, that experience is certainly not the same kind of qualitatively or even quantitatively in comparison to withdrawal from, say, heroin. So even though it has the, t- it's the same phenomenon, it's a different subjective experience. And so just because somebody says that, you know, hey, I stopped using cannabis, I used to take it every day, I'm now, you know, not, you know, I'm a little more tired, a little more irritable than I used to be, you know, is that experience the same thing um, that we're talking about when we talk about some of these other classes of drugs? I I would argue probably not. Well, so when we come down to this idea of a cannabis use disorder or, God forbid, cannabis dependence, how how do you see that? And I really kind of, you know, I do think that it, it is, there are people out there who, you know, it's a small number, but there are people who are in treatment who really struggle with their cannabis use. Um, and I don't think that's all that surprising. We have people who are in treatment who struggle with behavioral addictions as well, and uh, not just gambling. We have people who, 
you know, do things every day, stop doing them and become, you know, feel that they become addicted to them. Um, The Internet is a perfect example. There are people who say that they're addicted to being on the Internet. And is that really the same phenomenon as something like being addicted to you know, for example, heroin or crack cocaine. Um, So just because somebody finds it uncomfortable, I'm just not sure we're talking about the same phenomenon. Um, That being said, there are people who really struggle with it. So I guess I'm still trying to tease it apart in my own mind. Well, so I I know the base rates for uh, regular users showing dependence symptoms tends to be lower for Mm -hmm. cannabis than certainly tobacco and heroin, things like that, but even with caffeine, is that something that you think might inform your thinking? Yes, and I think that that's a really important point. If you you do compare something like cannabis uh, dependence with caffeine, um, so caffeine we know has a much higher dependency potential as any psychoactive component within cannabis, and yet Plenty of, you know, plenty of people would say, yes, I am, you know, addicted to caffeine. And we can even see indications of people who, you know, it interferes in their life. I'm a perfect example. I will be late to even teaching my class if I haven't, if I'm stuck in the Starbucks line, I will stay in that Starbucks line and be late to class to make sure I get my coffee. And nobody would necessarily say, they might say, you need to get to class. Um, But nobody would say, you know, you are a, you know, a drug addict or, or label me or wouldn't be considered a really, really critical matter that needed to be treated in therapy. Um, and yet we look at something like cannabis and say, because dependence might, you know, might be present in some individuals, that therefore they are drug addicts, it's terrible, and we stigmatize them. I'm not sure why we make that jump with cannabis, and yet it has a lower dependency potential than something like caffeine. Um, you know, I, I'm not really sure why we do that, but I, I think that that's dangerous, that stigmatization process. Well, the evil conspiracy theorist in me thinks caffeine makes people work hard and cannabis makes people realize <laughs> they don't need to work hard. And so I wonder if it's really just all the capitalists trying to get at us. <laughs> sure, I'll buy it. All right. Well, I, I know you're uh, busy there at the clinic. I wanted to congratulate you on getting your internship position at UCSD. And just to let you know, we're really going to miss you. you around the lab. It's It's been superb working with you, and I'm super proud of uh, all the publications you've had. And uh, on that note, I think we're going to uh, break for a commercial, but please join us. I'm going to talk about self-compassion and the art of activism after this break from Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Listen in as Dr. Dina, medical marijuana pioneer and inspiration for the award-winning TV series, Weeds, shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. 
InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Cannabis Commerce continues to cultivate new markets for adventurous entrepreneurs. CannabisRadio.com welcomes the adventurous to Cannabis and Commerce. Presented by GreenBiz.com. This show brings together cannabis entrepreneurs and industry experts to discuss today's important cannabis issues. Our discussions will chronicle the challenges faced by cannabis owners and the battles surrounding cannabis nationwide. Cannabis and Commerce. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. It's Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. I wanted to do our little section called Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Uh, today I'm going to talk about basically humor and future coping, or how humor can be a buffer against horrible things. A lot of these ideas are in my book, Humor 101, but I just wanted to give our listeners you know, the heads up. Uh, humor really is a great buffer against stress and colds and a lot of other nastiness, but it only works with certain types of humor. Obviously, that hostile, biting cynicism never made anybody feel a whole lot better or necessarily kept a, a cold away, but it actually can make things worse. It can correlate with depression and anxiety. Nevertheless, happier humor, humor that helps people affiliate and uh, connect with their friends really does a great job with that kind of thing. I really want to play this up because, in fact, it can make us all a little more efficient in the long run and just have happier lives. I think it works in part related to this Zen idea about mindfulness. It's like there's that moment when you get the punchline and suddenly something clicks. And when the mind pays attention to itself, you know, in the present, well, then it's got nothing to hold on to but itself. And it's got nothing to think about but its own content and suddenly you're in that present moment. There's nothing to be done. There's no agent to do it. It's just the mind, minding the mind. Having nothing to do and no one to do it makes a mindful mind joyful. There's no anticipation. There's no anxiety. There's no goal. There's no striver toward a goal. There's really no past. There's no future. There's just that present moment just as you get the funny. Now, the path to humor might have some of these qualities like that Zen mindfulness. Each time we acknowledge that something is funny, we're getting a look inside our own minds. When we notice our minds leaning in one direction or making some crazy assumption, and then that assumption gets violated by a punchline of a joke, we note that we were really lost in thought. We can see how our own minds can lead us astray and how we don't need to believe everything we think. We don't have to do anything special, just see where our minds are. And when we catch our minds a little off the beam, we can remind ourselves to get back to the moment. And in fact, the funny part of the joke might be what we were thinking just before we got the punchline. Punchlines can encourage us to be in the present. So the way to get funny is to see that life really is funny. 
even a tragedy can become a comedy with the right perspective. And the way to see that life is really funny is to be in it right now and now and now. And so then there's there's no joke to tell and no joke to miss. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure what, what comedies could be like in the future. Um, who knows what will be happening in a few years. But I do know one thing. Humor will be in the present. There will still be that moment of attention, that tiny shift just prior to the big guffaw. So what I said in the beginning about this being about humor and future coping in a way, that's misleading. There isn't humor in the future. There's only humor in the present. So something is funny in the present moment because that's the only moment we have. That's the only moment there is. And if the present moment isn't funny, the fact that it isn't funny just might be humorous on its own. <laughs> in fact, the fact that I've talked this long about humor without really cracking a joke is a bit funny. Any moment spent recognizing humor, though, that's a moment well spent. And it has a great chance to be a happy moment. Comedy can give us the optimism to know that there's always another laugh right around the corner. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and today's guest, Mallory Laughlin. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this Cannabis Radio Network program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff or management of Cannabis Radio Network. Any rebroadcast or retransmission without proper consent of the Cannabis Radio Network is prohibited.